Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechEU. I am your host, Andrew Degler. This episode of TechEU podcast is brought to you by smart human-oriented platform for connected factories or for close friends, shop for cf Are you a manufacturing company that is looking for ways to optimize and automate repetitive tasks in the production process? Wouldn't it be great if you could get the support you need to implement robotics on your production floor? Well, Shop4CF offers you just that, and on top of all the support, also 100,000 euros in equity-free funding. You have got less than a month left to seize this opportunity. Just go to shop4cf.eu and apply today. Again, that is shop4cf.eu, and of course, I will also leave the link in the show notes. The new era of human-centered robotics in Europe begins now. In today's episode, I would like to play you back a conversation with Jean-Pierre Sade, a partner at the investment company KKR. The firm is quite active in Europe, I'm sure you have heard of it before, and so it's always a good idea to listen what it's got to say. Hey, hey, this is Robin Waters from Tech.eu, and I'm joined here remotely, of course, as usual, uh, by Jean-Pierre Sade from KKR. Jean-Pierre, can I call you JP? Yeah, go for it. It's going to be easier. Uh, JP, welcome to the show. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself before we kick off. Yeah, thanks, Robin, and nice to be on the show. So on myself, really quick. So I've been with KKR for about 13 years. Uh, I'm responsible for our tech efforts here in Europe. I'm sure we'll have the chance to talk about you know what we do. But on my personal background, I've been uh, a banker before, and I'm trained as a computer engineer by background. Great. Well, I'm going to come back to that in a second, I'm sure. But KKR, uh, a name that probably everyone in, in our world sort of recognizes. Uh, but because TechEU in itself writes more about sort of early stage startups and, 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 and seed VCs and really the early stage of innovation, you might have to explain a little bit more how KKR sort of fits into the whole uh, investment landscape here in Europe and beyond. Yeah, sure. Please also uh, let's uh, um, double click on areas where you want me to uh, to go deeper. But basically, you know, as a alternative asset manager, uh, you know, KKR is probably known for being more of a generalist investment firm. However, within that, our technology practice is actually quite sizable. So out of our, you know, um, 360 billion of assets on the management, one third is private equity. And within that, in the last 10 years, we've invested about $25 billion in technology. And the way we do that, we have about 60 people globally, uh, 15 in Europe, uh, and we have a team in Asia as well. And the way we do it is we do, we start from late stage growth. Uh, so these are companies that uh, have between 30, 40 million revenues or ARR and growing, you know, 50% plus. Uh, and we go all the way to, you know, large cap technology companies. Uh, we do that from, you know, various funds. And here in Europe, uh, you know, a lot of what we do is really partnership with founders, entrepreneurs, even on the large cap side of things. Uh, we have been, you know, in one third of our deals in Europe, we have been really minority investors providing growth capital to those founders and entrepreneurs. And then we do, you know, the more traditional buyouts that, uh, you know, other folks are, are familiar with. Great. Um, you said you joined about 13 years ago. Does it also mean that KKR's European activities uh, started 13 years ago? Was that uh, before you joined? Oh, no. I mean, KKR in Europe started back in the 1998 or 1999. So, you know, we've been in Europe for a while, uh, mostly in London, but also in Paris since, you know, 2002, 2003. Uh, and today we're, um, you know, in, in most of the major capitals in Europe. Okay. You lead the um, TMT activity uh, investments uh, for the EMEA region. Uh, I believe, what does that role actually entail? What, what is your day-to-day 
schedule look like? Sure. So, so we are, um, you know, an investment firm, right? So similar to a lot of the, you know, the, 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 the investors that you probably get on your show, you know, most of what I, I do is really spend time with companies. In most cases, these are, you know, the, the founders, the entrepreneurs behind the companies. And in some cases, you know, the management team, uh, if there is no uh, founder at the company. So we really identified the few areas that we really want to focus on, uh, what we really like. The investment themes were very thematic. So we would focus on, you know, two or three themes and we spend time within that ecosystem. Uh, and we look for companies that uh, would like to benefit or would benefit from the KKR platform, the KKR network. So, you know, as you know, there's a lot of capital around and, and this is not, uh, this is becoming more of a commodity. I think what we, what we bring to the table is, you know, the platform is what we can uh, help uh, those companies with in terms of, you know, going beyond their home markets, scaling those businesses. Uh, we don't uh, really take, you know, technology risk or you know we want to make sure that the companies we invest behind have already reached uh, a certain a certain size but then we help them really go uh, exponentially in other countries or in other region other geography so i spend a lot of time with uh, with companies we also have a you know a team uh, 15 people in europe a lot of them are really focused on specific verticals or, or specific areas so part of what i do as well is uh, is uh, is helping that team develop, and then when we have an opportunity to invest, we do our diligence, and then we uh, we have uh, uh, you know we have you know like in many investment situations, you know negotiation, and then we end up in the cases where uh, where we get to the end, we end up investing in the company, and and then after that we have a period of you know portfolio management where we would sit on the board of uh, of those companies. Again, you know it's all relationship driven. We help the companies specifically on you know what they want to do. Uh, we bring in, you know, the 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 KKR network uh, to the table, and then we participate as you know active board members in the uh, you know in the investment, and that's usually between you know five and ten years, depending on uh, the type of funds uh, from which we're investing. Yeah, it does sound incredibly familiar to most of the investors I've spoken to, although the ticket sizes might be a little bit uh, bigger. Um, but um, you mentioned themes, you mentioned areas of interest. Uh, the obvious question is, of course, what are the, uh, the themes that KKR is, is currently looking at more closely? Uh, and also maybe from a geographical uh, perspective, like where, where do you invest or where do you keep an eye on uh, when it comes to Europe? Because Europe's a big place and it's very fragmented, of course. Um, so I'm wondering if you have a particular focus our interest in in any specific region yeah no on 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 the geographic side we are very much focused on western europe and uh, and 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 israel uh, so we've done a few investment in israel re recently uh, but we are very active in in france we have you know a, a team on the ground we are active in in spain in germany in italy in the nordics and in the uk obviously and we've done some investments in the peripheries or the new tech hubs uh, you know, like OutSystems in Portugal, for example, or Fidzai. Uh, so, so all of that part of Europe is really part of our uh, our mandate. We look at Eastern Europe uh, as well. Um, so, so it's really Western Europe and 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 Israel uh, within uh, within Europe. And then in terms of themes, I, I mean, again, it's not going to be surprising, but you know, for us, it's really 
you know, three or four areas. So, you know, anything that is benefiting from, you know, accelerated digitization and and we see that in a lot of our, you know, end markets, you know, whether it's healthcare, whether it's financial services, um, you know, there's still a lot of business models that are being digitized. So the way we play that theme is really either through, you know, investing in software companies that are, you know, growing within within those spaces or services companies. And, and this is maybe an area where we differentiate ourselves. So we think that in Europe and in general, on a global basis, for every dollar spent on software, you have about $2 spent on services. So you still need to implement the solutions. You have to monitor the solution. You have to manage uh, the workloads, whether they're on-premise or in the cloud. And so, uh, you know, when you think about it uh, from a technology, from a pie perspective, the pie of the service is actually pretty big in Europe, and it's correlated to the whole wave of digitization or cloud transitioning or, you know, cyber wave. So, you know, to give you an example, we, we, we've invested recently in a, in a digital IT services company in France called DevoTeam. That's really the number one partner of Microsoft, of, you know, Google, but also ServiceNow. Uh, they have 800 people on the cybersecurity side. So this is an indirect way for us to play that mega wave of digital transformation that is happening uh, in Europe. Uh, or, you know, a company like OVH in France on the cloud side, and, and, and there's been a lot of uh, uh, literature written on that recently um, uh, because they've announced that they're going to they're gonna go for an IPO. But these are the big waves of, you know, cloud transitioning, you know, platforms that are, you know, um, uh, that we want to get exposure to. You know, the other one is cyber uh, and data, you know, especially in Europe in the era of GDPR uh, and data sovereignty. This is this is extremely important. Uh, so focusing on that theme for us uh, is one of our key areas. And then anything consumer internet, you know, if you think about penetration of online in services like pharmacies or healthcare, it's still very, very low. Or, you know, if you take neobanks, you know, the market share that those banks have in the ecosystem is still extremely small, you know, below 1%. And if you believe that the way that the consumer is going to interact, you know, with banking, with financial services or with healthcare has changed for good, uh, then you want to bet on one or two or three of those uh, platforms because we think, you know, that, that, you know, especially, you know, with COVID, the consumer consumption has changed and you want to be in those, in those themes and in those segments. Yeah. You just dropped the C word and I mean, I mean COVID by that. Um, so <laughs> so that, that brings you to my next question, which is a very cliche one, but also quite a relevant one. Um, if you compare to a year and a half, two years ago, the way that you work with entrepreneurs, the way that you approach companies, the way that you look for them, identify them and invest in them eventually, has that changed at all because of the pandemic? Do you, do you feel the need to go faster? Has the, has the area of interest uh, shifted to more sort of the productivity software, entertainment, health tech space or? Or has it been largely the same? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has accelerated a theme that we have been seeing and tracking for a while. And it has double-clicked or, you know, focused, you know, added more light on, on some areas. I'll give you an example, you know, a company like Zwift that we invested in, you know, last year. You know, it's benefiting from an existing trend of, you know, health consciousness, but also, you know, increased uh, uh, interest in, cy in, in, in cyclism. But that has been accelerated even further with COVID, right? You know, in 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 some situations like, you know, we've invested recently in in a uh, in a company in France uh, that does uh, SaaS, 
you know, software for accountants, for SMEs. Uh, we had a you know, big investment in the Benelux in Exact. And so, so, so the, the SaaS transition that has happened in the market has really accelerated because you know, from one day to the other, and again, there's, there's been a lot of literature around that, so this is not new for your audience, but people started realizing that you know, they have to move to a SaaS model. They have to be able to access the technology, their platforms from wherever they are in the world. And you know, if you're invested behind those companies that you know, have been benefiting from that mega trend of SaaS transition over the years, you know, the COVID period has really accelerated that transition. So to some extent, really benefited those companies. Yeah. I think the general consensus is that most of the trends that have been accelerated by COVID are not going to stop. They're unstoppable. Um, are there any areas, though, that you think might experience a bit of a slowdown in our sort of post-pandemic world once we get there? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few things that, you know, we've looked at, you know, gaming companies recently, right? So companies that are exposed to, you know, online gaming. And it's clear that, you know, during the lockdowns, you know, those companies have, have benefited from, you know, a, 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 an extra boost, right? So whenever we look at those companies, what we do today, and I'm sure, again, you know, all of the investors that, that listen to your show would probably do the same, is we need to adjust for that you know, COVID impact. And so for a lot of those companies, you know, post pandemic and, you know, assuming, you know, the world is going to go back to completely, you know, open, you know, some of that growth will, 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 will go down or, or, or there could be even, you know, a, a, a drop in, in revenue. So, you know, we're very conscious of that, but for, for us, we see that as a temporary drop, you know, in all those themes that I mentioned, you know, and, and, and you mentioned that as well, those themes and those trends are here to stay. So we just need to make sure we don't, we don't overemphasize or we don't overrepresent this, you know, the impact from COVID and make sure that, you know, we're seeing the longer trend that is here to stay. Right. Um, you mentioned the KKR uh, network before. Uh, I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit more on what value you can bring to companies that you invest in aside from the actual money, because as you said, it's becoming more and more of a commodity. Um, what does this actually mean when you want to help companies scale, for example, in the US, or uh, do you also help them with, for example, uh, identify potential acquisitions or or, or, or to get acquired uh, by, by bigger companies? Is, is that also in your sort of portfolio of services or, or how should I uh, see this? Yeah, I mean, you, you should think that we, we really come in at the stage where and most of what we do is really growth investing, right? So even on the large cap side, you know, you would see us, you know, investing in companies that really are expanding, they are thematic, and uh, where they really need uh, either to grow beyond their home markets or go into other products or, you know, other adjacencies. So, so today, I think when we speak to some of those founders and entrepreneurs, the reason, at least, you know, what they tell us is they, they choose us. And in some cases, you know, they choose others and, and that's fine. But whenever they choose us is really because of that, you know, what we bring to the table beyond just capital. And, you know, I'll put it in, in five big, you know, uh, areas. So one is the global network. Uh, so if you are, French or Belgian champion, and you really want to expand into the US or in Asia, you know, what we do, and because this is this is our model, and this is how uh, we make sure that, you know, we have a culture that is built around, around that, which is helping our portfolio companies expand beyond their home market. So, you know, to give you an example, when, Go, when we invested in GoDaddy, 
they were only focused in the US. They only had, you know, US dollar denominated revenues. And the, the thesis was to take them, you know, globally and to India and to, and to Asia. And so we have people on the ground in India, in Mumbai that help them with hiring people, um, help them with, re- you know, regulatory constraints, because in a lot of those emerging markets, you really need to know how to, you know, how to, to go about, you know, setting up your entity. We have a team of internal, uh, operating partners who are in those countries, in those geographies, and, and, and part of what they do is help the other portfolio companies as well. So that the power of the network is is uh, is very helpful to those you know growth companies that want to expand. The other the other one I would say is we do have a, a network of you know somewhere around 150 portfolio companies within our private equity strategies, and those tend to be large enterprises. And so for, you know, smaller, gr- higher growth companies, you know, this is an end market that is very valuable. And so we don't push on our portfolio companies uh, or we don't force them to buy services from another portfolio company, but we create the network uh, and we have a team that's really focused on that, which is, you know, warm introductions across our portfolio. So as soon as a company comes into our portfolio, they have, you know, a network of 200 large enterprises to which they can uh, uh, they can pitch and, you know, potentially do business with. And and the total, you know, IT budget of those companies somewhere around the 10 billion. So it's really massive uh, end market for uh, for those uh, for those companies. The other thing I think we, we, where we differentiate, and and again, this is because we are we also have teams that focus on uh, not just technology. We have teams that you know invest in healthcare or invest in financial services. You know, understanding the end market and uh, having relationships with uh, you know C-level executives, whether it's you know large banks or the regulator to to to, to some extent, is very valuable for our growth tech companies, right? Because if you're doing healthcare software or you're doing you know some sort of service in the you know addressable to the financial services industry so you're selling to banks you know having understanding the regulatory environment having the right calls into the right people is usually very helpful it it allows you to avoid doing a few mistakes and it accelerates you know the growth of those companies uh, from that perspective uh, and i would say the you know the the, the 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 i mentioned you know our operating model you know, we do have a team of operating consultants and 45 years of experience of uh, operational improvement. And so when we have growth companies that are, you know, for the first time, they're going into new countries, we have that pattern recognition of what works, what doesn't work. And if they want, they have access to resources that have done it before. People who have helped, you know, companies expand or, you know, in case you know, something happened to the team or, you know, you need to beef up the team in, in, in some areas. So we have people who can step in and that's, that's really valuable. So they don't, we don't need to go and rely on external, you know, consultants or, or people from the outside world. And I would say the last thing, which, you know, companies who want to go IPO really value is we have a capital markets team, which is in-house. So we do obviously go with banks, but we also have people within KKR who uh, would help them go for these IPOs. We have a team that is focused on stakeholder management. And again, this is important for regulatory, you know, uh, topics, you know, whether it's, again, in financial services or in healthcare, you know, having a team that's, that's really focused on trying to predict, but also speaking to the right people uh, to understand where the regulation is going, you know, 
you know, take GDPR or take what's happening in Europe on the data, on the data sovereignty side, having those people in-house is invaluable for, you know, our growth companies that, that really need more resources. So those, I would say, are the, you know, are the areas where we can help. And again, the mindset is, you know, you join the KKR network, you join the KKR family, and you, you are on a platform that is really global and that has, you know, 45 years of investing experience behind. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great summary. So thanks for clarifying that. So a lot of the, a lot has been said and written, including by Tech U, uh, about the funding gap here in Europe, especially in the last 10 years where you would see sort of, you see the ecosystems mature, you see the entrepreneurs getting more ambitious, but it stopped at a sort of series C and up. It would still be quite challenging for these, these, these entrepreneurs to raise the kind of capital that you would normally see in, in places like uh, the US and China uh, to really, really scale globally. Uh, to become a, a leader in their their respective industries. Um, of course, that is shifting, uh, especially that it's been a, a crazy last six months. I mean, you look at the the mega rounds uh, that are, are are happening in Europe, but also the IPOs that are uh, being filed, uh, being uh, executed, and 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 being announced uh, for the future. So so quite quite active lately when it comes to sort of the late stage funding and 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 IPO um, elements, but. Realistically speaking, still a lot of that capital is coming from the U.S. and elsewhere. Um, do you see that as a problem for Europe, that this, this sort of value creation down the line sort of goes overseas uh, rather than stay in Europe? Or, or is that not uh, one of your concerns? Yeah, no, look, I mean, it's, it's, all of those are very good points. I think, you know, I wouldn't be too concerned about the source of capital. I think what is really interesting and what's really, I'm, I'm personally very excited about is that, you know, compared to seven or eight years ago, when every single founder or entrepreneur we spoke to wanted to go to the US to hire people, to get funding, to get, you know, much more visible and eventually to IPO, that is changing, right? I'm a bit maybe more optimistic here, but, you know, if you see what's happening in France, for example, and I know, you know, I think in the last months or so you had you had the French tech on, on one of your audiences. And, you know, we wrote actually a, a, a blog uh, on, on how France recently, you know, the, the blog was, uh, I think, issued last week, but how France is becoming really a key actor, a major actor in the, in the global, but also European uh, tech ecosystem. You see what those guys have done in the last, you know, two, three years, I mean, in the last 12 months alone, 15 companies have raised more than, you know, 150 million euros, I think, compared to four between 2017 and 2019. So for me, this is really an acceleration. Yes, we are not where the US is today. We are not where Asia is today. But I think compared to where we were three or four years ago, you know, I'm actually very, very optimistic. And again, it's 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 so refreshing to to see also that those funds are not only flowing to the capitals, but are actually flowing to the regions. And this again is a you know, in my view, is a, is a global is a global phenomenon. Even in the U.S., right? You know, Silicon Valley will always be Silicon Valley, but you're also starting to see hubs, you know, in other areas, whether it's Austin or Miami or or, or Boston, you know, gaining more um, steam. And I think it's it's the same in Europe. You know, the the entrepreneurs want to stay in their hometowns, and it's the investors who are coming to them. And maybe that's because there's a lot of liquidity in the market. That's possible. Uh, but also, I think the way we do business has changed significantly. You don't need to go around with a, you know, with a, uh, with a hard copy book and try to pitch your idea. The investors will come to you. And, and guess what? You know, I would say, you know, 
thanks to COVID to some extent, you do all of that uh, on Zoom. So I think we are we are starting to see the benefit of that, but it's also a mindset shift in Europe. You know, the 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 the, the you know the Gen Zs, the you know the younger generations, much more entrepreneurial. They also have, you know, the governments, you know, including France. But you know, I think the UK has been, has been, uh, has been doing a good job at that. I think, you know, we we should probably see more coming from Germany and from from the Nordics. But governments now get it, right? You need to also help top down. Uh, but at the same time, I think this, the the the, uh, you know, the new wave of you know entrepreneurial mindset, you know, failing fast is okay. Raising capital in Europe, you know, hiring in Europe, uh, staying in Europe, and from here, you know, going after you know the rest of the world is now possible. And whether the funds come, you know, from you know the U.S. or from Europe, for me, doesn't matter because the value creation is actually happening in Europe. Great, uh, definitely a leveling of the the playing field that we see as well. Um, I'm going to come back to your uh, last point on on governments. I'm wondering from your perspective, is there anything that uh, I'm being based here in Brussels? I'm asking this. Uh, on a European level, is there something that policymakers, uh, regulators should be looking at to make capital markets more efficient, to make it easier for entrepreneurs to scale globally? From your perspective, what, what are some of the things that are still uh, uh, due for change? Yeah, I think in general, um, and again, I don't want to take the French example, but you know, there has been a very serious look at the regulation. There has been a very serious look at the laws. Uh, there has also been a lot of discussions that happened, you know, with us, but also with a lot of investors and saying, okay, what do we need to do better? What do we need to change to attract more capital? And as soon as you you change the regulation and you make it more investor friendly, you know, we are in a world where there's excess liquidity. So the liquidity will flow to the country. I think we haven't seen the same level of enthusiasm or top-down push from other European countries. And I think, you know, from where you sit in, in, in Brussels, you know, I think a little bit more of a European, you know, view around that. And I know that there's been a new initiative recently launched, you know, to some extent by President Macron, but, but it was a more, you know, European initiative about scale-up Europe. You know, those kind of initiatives that are not only focused on one country, but, you know, really have in mind what needs to change at a different level in Europe, you know, we need to see more of that. But I think we're on the right track. And I think people realize that by doing this, this is more jobs for their for their economies. This is more money flowing into the country and, you know, more successes and, you know, unicorns and decacorns based out of Europe. Well, let's hope your uh, optimistic outlook is uh, justified. We're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and KKR's perspective sort of on, on the European tech space. Um, do you have any final closing thoughts to share? No, look, thanks, uh, thanks for the chat. Uh, it's a, obviously a topic that is close to to my heart, and I'm and I'm happy that we were able to share it. But also, you know, highlight the fact that yeah, you know, within within Europe and more generally, you know, as a firm, if you if you look for the next five years, you're going to see us more and more, you know, investing in those you know growth companies uh, in the tech sector, uh, which is a uh, which is you know today a big part of what we do. Great. Well, we'll be watching very closely, so do keep us posted, please. And uh, thank you again for taking the time to join us and uh, have a good uh, rest of the day. Thank you, Robin.
And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, follow us today wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Big, big thanks to Jean-Pierre Saad for coming on the show, to Robin Walters for recording this interview, and to Shop4CF for supporting this episode of this show. Our audio engineer is done by SoundPulse. That is sound-pulse.com. Your questions, suggestions, and opinion are always very welcome. Send them to podcast at tech.eu. This was TechU Podcast. I am Andrew Daigler, and I will talk to you again very soon. For now, take care and enjoy the rest of your week. Bye-bye.